Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, Episode 37 Mr. Sclatter It may be remembered that upon Gibby's disappearance from the city, great interest was felt in his fate, and such questions started about the boy himself as moved the Reverend Clement Sclatter to gather all the information at which he could arrive concerning his family and history. That done, he proceeded to attempt interesting in his unknown fortunes those relatives of his mother whose existence and residences he had discovered. In this, however, he had met with no success. At the house where she was born, there was now no one but a second cousin, to whom her brother, dying unmarried, had left the small estate of the Withrops, along with the family contempt for her husband, and for her because of him, inasmuch as, by marrying him, she had brought disgrace upon herself and upon all her people, so said the cousin to Mr. Sclatter, but seemed himself nowise humbled by the disgrace he recognized, indeed almost claimed. As to the orphan, he said, to speak honestly, as he did at least that once, the more entirely he disappeared, the better he would consider it. Not that personally he was the least concerned in the matter. The brother who had taken to business was the senior partner in a large shipbuilding firm at Greenock. This man, William Fuller Withrop by name, Wilful Withrop, the neighbors had nicknamed him, was a bachelor and reputed rich. Mr. Sclatter did not hear of him what roused very brilliant hopes. He was one who would demand more reason than reasonable for the most reasonable of actions that involved parting with money. Yet he had been known to do a liberal thing for a public object. Waste was so wicked that any other moral risk was preferable. Of the three, he would waste mind and body rather than estate. Man was made neither to rejoice nor to mourn, but to possess. To leave no stone unturned, however, Mr. Sclatter wrote to Mr. Withrop. The answer he received was that as the sister concerning whose child he had applied to him had never been anything but a trouble to the family, as he had no associations with her memories save those of misery and disgrace, as before he left home, her name had long ceased to be mentioned among them, and as her only father had deliberately and absolutely disowned her because of her obstinate disobedience and willfulness, it could hardly be expected of him, and indeed would ill become him, to show any lively interest in her offspring. Still, although he could not honestly pretend to the smallest concern about him, he had, from pure curiosity, made inquiry of correspondence with regard to the boy, from which the resulting knowledge was that he was little better, whose character, education, and manners had been picked up in the streets. Nothing he was satisfied could be done for such a child, which would not make him more miserable. Therefore, Thus failing, Mr. Sclatter said to himself he had done all that could be required of him, and he had, indeed, 
taken trouble. Anything be asserted, he said, further to himself, as his duty in respect of this child, that was not equally his duty in respect of every little wanderer in the streets of his parish. That a child's ancestors had been favored above others, and had so misused their advantages, that their last representative was left in abject poverty, could hardly be a reason why that child was a child with a sir to his name anything more in the eyes of God than a child without a name at all? Would any title, even that of Earl or Duke, be recognized in the kingdom of heaven? His relatives ought to do something, they failing, of whom could further requisition be made. A duty could not be passed on. It could not become the duty of the minister of a parish just because those who ought to and could would not to spend time and money to the neglect of his calling, and hunting up a boy would he, whom he would not know what to do with if he had him, a boy whose home had been with the poor of society. In justice to Mr. Slatter, it must be mentioned that he did not know Gibby even by sight. There remains room, however, for the question whether, if Mr. Slatter had not been the man to change his course as he did afterwards, he would not have acted differently from the first. One morning, as he sat at breakfast with his wife, late Mrs. Bonneman, and cast, as is, I fear, the rude habit of not a few husbands, not a few stolen glances as he ate, over the morning paper, his eye fell upon a paragraph announcing the sudden death of the well-known William Fuller Withrop, of the eminent shipbuilding firm of Withrop and Playtail of Greenock. Until he came to the end of the paragraph, his cup of coffee hung suspended in mid-air. Then down it went untasted, he jumped from his seat and hurried from the room. For the said paragraph ended with the remark that the not in unfrequent incapacity of the ablest of businessmen for looking the inevitable in the face with coolness sufficient to make the making of a will was not only a curious fact, but in the individual case a pity. Where two hundred thousand pounds was concerned, had the writer been a little more philosophical still, he might have seen that the faculty for making money by no means involves judgment in the destination of it, and that the money may do its part for good and evil without, just as well as with a will at the back of it. But though this was the occasion, it remains to ask, what was the cause of the minister's precipitancy? Why should Clement Slatter thereupon spring from his chair in such a state of excitement that he set his cup of coffee down upon its side instead of its bottom, to the detriment of the tablecloth, and of something besides, more unquestionably, the personal property of his wife? Why was it that, heedless of her questions, backed although they were both by just anger and lawful curiosity, he ran straight from the room and the house, nor stayed until at one of the same moment his foot was on the top step of his lawyer's door and his hand upon its bell. No doubt it was somebody's business, and perhaps it might be Mr. Sclatter's, to find the heirs of men who died into state. But what made it so indubitably, so emphatically, so individually, so pressingly, Mr. Slatter's, that he forgot breakfast, tablecloth, wife, and sermon altogether, that he might see to this boy's rights? Surely, if there were, they were rights, they could be in no such imminent danger as this haste seemed to signify. Was it only that he might be the first in the race to write them? And if so, then again, why? 
Was it a certainty, indisputable, that any boy, whether such and tramp as the minister supposed this one to be or not, would be redeemed by the airship to the hugest of fortunes? Had it some time before this become at length easier for a rich boy to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Or was it that he with all his honesty, all his religion, all his churchism, all his protestantism, and his habitual appeal to the word of God, the minister was yet a most reverential worshipper of mammon, decently dressed, perusing a subscription list? No doubt justice ought to be done, and the young man over at Rothrigg's was sure to be putting in a false claim. But where were the lawyers whose business it was? There was no need of a clergyman to remind them of their duty, where the picking of such a carcass was concerned. Had Mr. Sclatter ever conceived the smallest admiration or love for the boy, I would not have made these reflections. But in his ignorance of him and indifference concerning him, he believed there would at least be trouble in proving him of approximately sound mind and decent intellect. What then, I repeat and leave it, did all this excitement on the part of one of the iron pillars of the church indicate? From his lawyer he would have gone at once to Mistress Crowell, indeed I think he would have gone to her first, to warn her against imparting what information concerning Gibby she might possess to any other than himself. But he had not an idea where she might even be heard of. He had cleansed his own parish, as he thought, by pulling up the terror contrary to commandment and throwing it into his neighbors, where it had taken root and grown a worse terror than before until at length she who had been so careful for the manners and morals of her drunkards was a drunkard herself and a wanderer with the reputation of being a far worse woman than she really was for some years now she had made her living one poor enough by hawking small household necessities and not unfrequently where she appeared the housewives bought of her because her eyes and her nose and an undefined sense made them shrink from the danger of offending her. But the real cause of the bad impression she made was that she was sorely troubled with what is, by huge discourtesy, called a bad conscience, being in reality a conscience doing its duty so well that it makes the whole house uncomfortable. On her next return to the dire foot, as the part of the city was called, where now she was most at home, she heard that as the astounding and welcome news that Gibby had fallen heir to a large property, and that the reward of one hundred pounds, a modest sum indeed, but where was the good of wasting money, thought Mr. Splatter, had been proclaimed by by tuck of drum to anyone giving such information as shall lead to the discovery of Sir Gilbert Galbraith, commonly known as We Sir Gibby. A description of him was added, and the stray was so canspackle that Mistress Crowell saw the necessity of haste to any hope of advantage. She had nothing to guide her beyond the fact of Sir George's habit in his cups of referring to the property on Dar's side and the assurance that with the same habit Gibby must have been as familiar as herself with this initiative as she must begin somewhere and could prosecute her business anywhere she filled her basket and set out at once for Dara's side 
There, after a good deal of wandering hither and thither, and a search whose fruitlessness she probably owed to, to great caution, she made the desired discovery unexpectedly and marvelously, and left behind her in the valley the reputation of having been on more familiar terms with the flood and the causes of it than was possible. Thank you for listening to another episode of Agersoft Story Classic.